Welcome to another episode of the Layer 8 Podcast. We have a very special guest for you today. We have Laurent Bodo with us. Welcome, Laurent. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. For the benefit of our listeners, can you give an introduction about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm currently working as an open source intelligence professional, and I'm also the co-founder of uh, OSINT Curious. And I usually sit on the other end asking the questions, so that's a bit new for me as well. But yeah, so at Ozen Curious, I basically manage the, the webcasts and the, the, the live streams that we do and uh, about me as well. So maybe I can talk a little bit about how I got into open source intelligence, because that's also one of the questions I always ask our guests. So I guess um, there's no really straight career path as for everyone. So my career path was also, I would say, interesting, um, starting off at uh, university where I actually found out about open source intelligence. So I studied a lot. I did a bachelor's in uh, political science and oriental studies, um, also doing a, a Arabic. And after that, I went on a couple of masters, <laughs> doing yeah, a couple of masters. So I did one in political science and in international politics and complexity science and also crime science in the end. So in the end, I got three master degrees, but it, it isn't because I wanted to collect them. It just happened. So I was always following my passion. So let me go back to how I got into OSIN, uh, which was during the, uh, the, the bachelor's, was um, that I found that it was really interesting. So I, I was looking into uh, the Salafist uh, movement in Germany specifically and trying to study them and how, they, how it all came about. And during my research, I realized that there's so much information on the social media, especially on those you know big platforms, YouTube and Facebook. And one of the problems at that time, and I think it still is to some degree, was the, to collect some data. And uh, that got me thinking uh, in terms of, can I use or can I develop some new novel methodologies that I could use for my bachelor thesis? And uh, this is how I came into contact with uh, open source intelligence. And at that time, I also didn't know that it is called open source intelligence. I just like to do, uh, like to click on stuff and was just curious. And uh, one of the things is what, what really got me into this thing is when you look up these um, yeah, highly radicalized individuals and they talk freely on, on YouTube and in the comment sections about their beliefs and how and uh, they talk to each other and communicate. I just found it so interesting that I, from my desk, can literally just follow these discussions, tap into it without even engaging and uh, just find out and learn more about them, why they do this what they believe in, et cetera, et cetera. And then that, that started kind of like this whole career or path of me learning more about open source intelligence, but also wanting to learn more about, you know, the fields in, uh, of terrorism studies. So that's why I studied and did a, a master's because I wanted to do one. But, uh, and now let me go back to why I did three in the end, was one was a, a double uh, master's program. So you study for two years, yeah, and then you get two master degrees in the end. So I thought, hey, that's cool. Two is better than one, so why not? And after that, uh, so during all the time I was, you know, doing all that Ozen stuff and um, getting into it really, and also working uh, for other institutes and uh, yeah, doing some work on the site as well, already using Ozen. At the end, I thought, you know what? Uh, after these two master degrees, I would like to do a PhD. So I applied for one and I got into this four-year PhD program. And the very the first year was again a master's 
and I, I was just like, oh my God, not again. But I had to go through it. Uh, in the end, I thought, you know what? It's good to have done it because it was very interesting in terms of the, the topics and everything. It was in crime science at uh, UCL and I really loved it. But at the end, unfortunately, I had to drop out uh, for financial reasons. It was just not um, possible for me to get funding and to continue the PhD. But on my to-do list, I've got so many things, uh, starting with you know learning data science and all that stuff. Uh, but somewhere on the list is also to finish or to do a proper PhD at some point, but maybe when I'm older. But uh, yeah, that was my kind of like path. And while I was studying a lot, yeah, while I was studying, so I worked for universities, uh, did research jobs and uh, all kinds of things to also, you know, um, just finance the, the degree because it's expensive to live in London. And then I, yeah, I got my first job. Um, then started, you know, working full time as an OSINT analyst, and yeah, and then this is how it really then started off, working in, in various positions doing OSINT, and that's why I have also this focus on, um, you know, the uh, utilizing OSINT tradecraft. So about me in a nutshell, what I really like to do is OSINT, uh, literally anything. Um, I like to, you know, the uh, to to think about methodologies, to develop methodologies, and then also apply them and in any context. But my favorite context is, you know, terrorism, uh, countering terrorism, specifically online. So studying terrorist entities, radical, you know, I, trying to figure out some ways of can we measure, you know, radicalization? Can we identify people who are vulnerable to radicalization? I've done some interesting work in that area, and this is what really fascinates me. Yeah, so this is about my kind of like career and as i said at the beginning this is also one of the questions i ask because i find it so interesting and fascinating how people got to the positions they have now and what and career paths they took and it's always different I, and i don't think there's like one straight career path or one singular way of doing it it's just i think personally uh, is to follow your interests and even if this is, is it's like finance related or whatever you're gonna find some niche, or if you're into this, you know, combining OSINT and finance or combining OSINT with whatever, I mean, there's so many opportunities and it can be also something completely else, uh, it doesn't matter. But I really think that um, it's important to follow his or her passion. Could have also ended up as, I don't know, uh, a pretzel seller. <laughs> I also like pretzels, I love them, but it didn't work out. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, following your passion is I think very important. and. Uh, this is also what I hear often, and I get also asked a lot. I would like to work in counterterrorism, or I would like to do this. Can you recommend, uh, you know, some courses or whatever? And I keep telling them that, um, yeah, I mean, it's good to know what you want to do and give them some advice. But at the end of the day, it's really about: is this really what you want to do, or is it just because you know, you know, you tapped into the world of OSINT and then you found something? oh that's cool it's counterterrorism because it's also you know some hot topic and is it really what you want and if if so then i would recommend you know first look at the academic literature here are some providers of ozin courses and then try to you know find your niche because it's just massive and i guess it applies to you know every single field or area where you for instance you know there's just so much to ozin uh, we keep talking about tools and techniques but there's so much more, especially when it comes to uh, analysis, thinking about, you know, methods that you can use to analyze 
in a very objective way, which is really difficult anyways, because of the way our brain works. There's so many interesting things. And I think, you know, doing OSIN courses are very important and yeah, constantly learning and understanding everything. I think there's just, yeah, so many points to talk about, I guess. That's one of the questions that I usually ask my guests at the very end of the podcast is how can somebody get started in the field of OSINT? And you just answered that with to follow your passion and to find a niche. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, everyone has uh, some kind of background or, you know, finished high school or finished some degree. Let's say, like in my case, it was um, politics because in Germany, so maybe I should have said that, but as you can hear from my Terminator accent, I'm from Germany originally. Um, and yeah, and then in Germany, there was no, th uh, no such thing as intelligence studies or terrorism studies. All of these disciplines, they were in London. That's why I moved there uh, years ago. And all these big universities, um, they were there concentrated in, 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 in London. And then, yeah, my, it was always the, the interest in understanding why people yeah, blow themselves up for what is the reason behind it? How does this process work? And um, also when you hear, I mean, when you just turn on the news and now the global, you know, the far right, it's just such an important and interesting topic for me. I just want to understand it specifically from a point of view, like how they use technology, how they communicate, what methods I can use, et cetera, et cetera, to better understand them, to then in the end help decision makers, whoever it is, to make better and informed decisions. And coming back to the question of, you know, for, uh, you know, how someone can get started in OSIN is, it's really to have some sort of interest and then focus on that interest and understand the topic itself and then trying to look for ways of combining it with the, you know, with the OSINT discipline. But here I also recommend, you know, first of all, getting familiar with the literature. You don't have to, but it's just good to understand and to know um, how open source intelligence has evolved. Uh, you don't have to become a, um, a historian in this discipline, but just to understand, you know, uh, some milestones and because if you want to understand or if you want to even forecast where we are going next with open source intelligence uh, I think it's good to understand you know how everything started and you know what kind of milestones happened you know along the way that really helped OSINT become this discipline that it is today uh, you know that it really yeah all the you know the the availability of uh, large amounts of data publicly the availability of smartphones the availability of you know 3G and all that kind of technology that interlinks and then leads to this boom in in data specifically when it comes to you know monitoring or knowing the situation on the ground in a country far far away and a current example is uh, Afghanistan which is uh, fascinating again it's a separate topic uh, so I don't want to talk about politics which is still which is also very interesting but you know from an Olsen point of view you can just sit um, at your desk with just, a, with just an internet connection. And then if you know where to look, especially on, on Twitter and how to look for such information and even how to identify, you know, official accounts of, uh, you know, of the Taliban, then you can do some really interesting stuff and monitor what's going on there without even being there physically. And this is also in itself very fascinating. Um, and of course, there are different groups with different interests that want to understand produce intelligence to make, you know, help the decision makers to do whatever policy needed to, you know, to do certain things. But from an OSINT point of view, I just find it fascinating. And uh, yeah, so that was one thing, you know, starting off with 
understanding what open source intelligence is in terms from the, the historical point of view. I find it for myself important, doesn't mean that everyone has to do it, but then also understanding what it actually means. Look at some of the definitions and the academic literature is also huge. It's very interesting. And uh, you know, when you read from people who have served for decades at the, the CIA or other you know, intelligence agencies, so from law enforcement, and then they write academic papers explaining or talking about certain aspects of the intelligence cycle and discussing things, it's, it's, you can extract a lot of uh, knowledge from there. Most recently, I read an interesting article about the you know, complex, um, also looking at complexity in intelligence, which is very fascinating. It gives you new ideas as well. And you know, the bottom line is here to really understand what open source intelligence is. And there's also um, a debate you know, going on, I think, in the community. Some people say it's open source intelligence. Some people say, no, it's not. It doesn't have to do anything with intelligence. It's digital research or whatever. I personally, I mean, it's good to have these discussions and there are valid points on all sides, I would say. But for me personally, I don't really care how you call it. For me, it's just important that people understand that open source intelligence, so when we call it open source intelligence, that this is something you produce. So this is a product that um, is developed by going through certain steps. And this is important. I think this is the bottom line to understand that you just don't go on Twitter. And uh, if someone posts something about topic X that you just take it for granted and then copy paste, put it in your report and here open source intelligence, but you know, source evaluation, information evaluation, what is the the value, the, the so what question here, very important. I mean, we all we are all able to find interesting things, I guess. But I guess the difficulty here is the 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 answering the so what and putting this into context. And when you also look at these big investigations, um also the time people have put in, you know, to to monitor certain things and then connecting these dots. I mean, you, when you go to conferences and then you listen to some of these presentations, it always amazes me like how much effort went into, you know, geolocating this uh, picture or monitoring these people and then finding this out and then connecting it. But sometimes I, I find also it sounds uh, not because the presenter was bad at presenting, but because I think people just uh, think it's, oh, that was easy. You just have to be, you know, you just have to spend a little time on Google Earth and then everyone can find it. It's not that easy, and and people shouldn't um, how how to say it not um, take it of uh, how how shall I frame this? So I want to say that there are lots of things in OSINT, and even if they appear to be oh I can do that too, they shouldn't just look at it as oh anyone can do it because the real stuff happens really in the analysis. And yes, everyone can uh, run a Python script and you know collect data even large amounts if you're if you know how to, but really the, the, the point here is to be objective and then analyze these, um, that data and uh, produce some value to answer or to help decision makers, you know, either to describe something that's going on, descriptive requirements or some explanatory ones where you explain certain phenomena, like, you know, if you want to explain why did a bomb go off, you know, in, in this um, street, in, uh, in Kabul, then looking at the bigger picture, who is there, you know, what is the, the, the structure of the, the governance there, what groups uh, have an interest in taking control, also strategically and also in, in the international politics, who is backing them, etc. So there are so many questions and uh, I find it very interesting. And I think in my case, 
um, I, uh, I have to say like because people sometimes ask me what do you recommend what shall I study and uh, I find personally international politics or politics is pretty cool but it's not you don't have to have studied politics to you know to do OSINT there's no really a requirement but when you do OSINT in certain areas it's of course helpful if you know how to analyze certain things it's extremely helpful if you know some methodologies but it can also do with if you know I also know lots of people who haven't studied and are really good at what they do so you don't have to have necessarily studied that's uh, what I try to say and uh, yeah so that is another thing uh, understanding OSINT so we've got the, the the interest or the passion number one then a little bit about you know where we came from where we are now history understanding you know some major milestones and then also look at the um, OSINT itself, the, the discipline, like what is OSINT, the definitions. And then I will also move into understanding how the brain, how our brain works and moving into more, you know, analysis, the methodology. How do you analyze things? I mean, we all analyze, we know, we do it, I think, automatically. But if you really ask someone to break down the steps of analyzing, you know, text, there are different methods and several things that you can do. And it's all about, you know, minimizing bias that we all have. We can't just turn it off to so just minimize the risk of, you know, creating something that is not really strong and a bit biased as well. And I think that's also important to understand. You know, when we, for just to give you an example, if someone is monitoring Twitter and then constantly picks certain tweets from one account, there's some bias involved that automatically think, oh, this is high value and I trust that person. Of course, it's good if you trust that person. But by, you know, ignoring that, oh, I don't have time now to actually check if this is true or the, you know, geolocation, probably it's true. So let's just take it and take it for granted. So simple things, but also in terms of, um, I mean, we see it now, disinformation, misinformation, also a huge topic. And uh, here we have a lot of bias going on when people, you know, just want to take information from one source rather than look at multiple sources and analyze it. I find it's also very interesting from a methodological point of view and also because I'm interested in understanding how we actually think about thinking and there's a really good book um, I think it's often cited Psychology of Analysis by Richard J. Oira. he's yeah one of the godfather in, in this topic and uh, yeah great free book and by the way the, the CIA they, they have a lot of free resources out there and um, academic um, publications as well and there's so much stuff in there that people can can read and this also gives them a good overview of um, you know OSINT and how it can be used but at the end again it really depends on your interests so for someone who wants to pursue a career at the government this is certainly I guess very important but um, if someone wants to you know to become a headhunter and wants to understand how to uh, how to say yeah to hunt someone or find suitable candidates because there's also good money in there if you find the right person who you know who earns a fortune your profit will be also a fortune so you want to find these people and of course there are great techniques and tools so in that case you don't really have to understand you know all that uh, interesting that I find interesting you don't have to but certainly it does help if you you know if you talk about OSINT um, that you are able to explain it or understand the basics because at the end of the day whatever you do and you use publicly available information the, the steps are always the same right you have to start off with a question you have to understand the question because otherwise you don't know what you look for and then when you collect the information 
you you kind of like also think about okay so where can i find this information maybe i should go on you know reddit to can i find some executives on reddit well i think linkedin is more suitable so you know all this thinking goes also into this and then once you found the candidate you know also look at the profile i mean most of the cases it's probably a, a, a legit profile i would say but of course you also want to make sure that everything checks out with the individual so verification is also important and um, so i think a lot of the steps are, are pretty much the same and similar and of course there can be also bias that you only pick certain individuals you can only pick if you you know if based on your experience all the women you picked were more successful or you know all the men you picked were successful that in that case you pick uh, women over men or men over women whatever um there there are also biases and interestingly there were also so this is a bit off topic but um in the area of artificial intelligence there were also some interesting findings that you know the the algorithm created had also a strong bias in there and this was just because the the people who created the data were already biased and only picked those individuals so they disregarded completely different ethnicities and all the other groups so this is again very important and yeah so in the end to just summarize <laughs> my extremely long answer <laughs> is to follow your passion and look a little bit into if you're really into this OSINT field and understand kind of a little bit the history and then look at OSINT itself the definitions and uh, you know the intelligence cycle another concept that is worthwhile looking at to just understand the process and knowing that you know this is a product and being aware of these biases and maybe knowing some techniques um, to overcome these biases or minimize them and I think whatever you do whatever you want to do as long as you're happy you're going to put in uh, extra hours because I think we all do this uh, this is our passion open source intelligence that's why we also do you know extra hours and all that stuff and uh, yeah sacrificing free time and as long as you you know follow your passion um, I think you're going to be extremely successful one of the things that I've always been looking to do is to come up with a good definition of intelligence. And I think your answer just gave me an idea for a formula for it. And let me see what you think about this. We know data is not intelligence. So mm -hmm. based on what you just said, I came up with this formula in, let's say, intelligence equals data plus context plus validation minus bias. <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally, as with any other, how to say, as with any other um, concept um, uh, or words, there's or there are always different definitions. So I'm not really focused too much on, you know, giving the perfect definition. I think in the academic literature itself, I mean, there are lots of debates and everyone has good points. And then again, it depends on where you come from. Like there are different things to, you know, to to emphasize. But generally, I think I would agree, like the, the minus bias, I like it. <laughs> I mean, it's also very simplified, of course. Yes. But uh, also, the you know, uh, when we talk about information and data, there's, all, there's also this nice graphic where you have data, which is in its very raw form. And then this can be like bytes and, uh, you know, everything there. But then there's information as well. And then there's also intelligence, like there are these different things. It's interesting in German, for instance, when you talk about you know intelligence there's no real word for intelligence so whenever i talk about this in german i keep saying intelligence there are some you know the germans they like to to use uh, english words anyways but it's interesting also uh, the the way that different languages 
talk about these things. But yes, I would say also, you know, to the intelligence or to, to produce it, um, you have to deal with data. And you also mentioned the context. So that's also very important because um, that piece of information, it can be literally anything like really high level. I'm, I mean, I'm talking like really abstract here now, but you know, I can show you some piece of information and then you say, okay, so what? But I know other information as well. And in my context, this thing is just breaking everything. Like, oh my God, you cannot believe I was waiting for this a long time. So that's absolutely important. And this is also what I, you know, as I said at these conferences, when I listen to these amazing presentations, how much effort and work they they put in to to monitor these things and then find it and then you know linking this explosion to that explosion, linking it to that company and to that thing. And if you look at them in isolation, you can't really see the bigger picture. And I think this is also one of the big things here. But yeah, otherwise I would uh, agree, I guess. When you are investigating these extremists. Do you feel like a fly on the wall or a spy just listening in on their conversations from your home? It's a, it's an interesting question. So sometimes, especially when you are, so first of all, just to clarify, like whenever I do these things, I like, uh, for me, OPSEC is very important. And another thing here is also important that I don't engage with them. And I think this is what I also try to to tell people when they want to do these things. And generally speaking, I don't share anything OSINT related. <laughs> That's a funny thing. Um, very specific case studies, very specific methodologies in this region, uh, in this area, just because I know that these people, they know about OSINT and they talk about methods too. So I'm aware of this. That's why I, want, I don't want to talk about this in general, basically giving them tips or warn them of how I do things on, on this platform or on that platform. That's the one thing. But yeah, sometimes when I uh, when I monitor these conversations and um, I join only groups that are public. So when it comes to, you know, close groups, I don't like to do this unless I really have a reason and also some sort of, yeah, a reason to do this. This is a, then a different topic, maybe for another time. <clears throat> but unless it's uh, public, I join them and then I can be kind of like sure that they won't focus on me. Um, in terms of like, who are you now? Because if there are thousands of people already in this room and I'm thousand number one and I, I'm quiet, I have a, what I also do is, if it's possible to look at all the usernames and names to understand like what the, what most people use, uh, pictures as well, because you don't want to stand out and then kind of like trying to blend in. So that's one thing, but it's difficult. I mean, there are probably thousands of techniques that you can use, you know, uh, numbers, letters, whatever. But trying to, you know, just being aware of it and trying to, you know, not to stand out. And then coming back to your question, yes, I do feel sometimes, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of like weird when they keep talking about very, how to say, like talking about OPSEC is one thing when I have to smile and then looking up the profiles and then doing some things and then like, ah, oh, here's your Facebook. And then they talk about OPSEC at, at the moment, like, oh, it's very important. Don't do this, do this. I didn't chuckle, yeah, that, that's true. But yeah, but this is not all the time, uh, to be honest. But um, yeah, this is also a big topic, uh, I think, ethics generally in OSINT. And what do you do with the information? Is it just for your own curiosity or do you share the intelligence that you gain with others? 
at the end of the day, I mean, whether or not this is intelligence, that's another question. Um, so when I do it, um, you know, in a professional context, that's something else. But when I, I also do this in my free time, when I have time, and I usually, you know, worked on, work on projects or work on kind of like small assignments as like a contractor or something, then I, of course, provide the information because uh, this is very specific. There isn't a requirement and there is a need to understand this or that, then um, I do this. And in case I find something interesting, which also um, happened, and I actually kind of like find out very interesting information, not, not just interesting in terms of, hey, look at this, he's a violent extremist and he said, he said a bad word. Uh, but I mean, really, like there's a lot of evidence um, pointing to this individual, um, you know, having traveled to to Syria uh, in an, and most likely engaging in some sort of battle activity and not for some, um, you know, just for some, you know, helping a, a health organization or whatever. And I identify the individual and find out where he lives, which actually happened. Then I also package this information and then send it off to the authorities. For instance, in, in the US, um, it's very easy to do this um, and send a tip to the FBI. <clears throat> and this is also what I did, uh, I think, two years ago with uh, one such case. But this, I have to say, also doesn't happen every week. So, you know, monitoring takes time and it's also time consuming. And um, what also happens if I'm just curious to, you know, to just play around with the platform, you know, just browse around. And here again, it's important that that you have some guiding principles, that you have some questions that you want to answer. Otherwise, I just browse around and you know I find oh interesting profile, lots of bad words here, lots of bad words there. Yeah, I do that too sometimes. But then you know after two hours, I realize like what are you doing? On your website, you have weekly OSINT tweets curated that focus on terrorism and extremism. What is that about? Yeah, so this is basically about supporting analysts and researchers who work in that area, specifically looking at the trends and the latest in uh, the far-right movement online or Salafi jihadists, what they are up to, plus a specific focus on open source intelligence. So a lot of agencies and everyone has really caught up with OSINT. Um, so there's huge interest in that, understanding how to use it. So this really is about helping them to sort out through you know through thousands of tweets every single day um i kind of like i'm confident in saying like i know who's who in terms of you know who are the experts for you know far-right stuff who are the experts for salafi jihadist stuff who are the experts on isis aq etc and i also trust other people uh, who then say these are experts so i follow them i put them in lists and i monitor everything for for me personally and then i thought you know what, I think so many people ask me all the time, you know, um, where can I find publications on, you know, uh, technology and terrorism? Where can I find publications on here? So I keep telling them, go there. This is a Twitter account that specifically focuses on this topic. Look at the accounts they follow. And then from there, you can build up your own portfolio. And then I thought, you know what, uh, why not just do it myself? Um, it's also good for me to just keep tabs on all the latest stuff. And then it's also very, uh, easy for me to do. I just bookmark everything. And then at the weekend when I have time, I just put everything and embed it on the page. Uh, sometimes that's why it's a bit slow because it has to load each tweet. But uh, yeah, so, so far people um, yeah, have said that it's useful for them. 
and I kind of like we we are all on Twitter I guess if you listen to this you're probably on Twitter <laughs> so I told you <laughs> um, basically uh, Twitter is extremely useful for lots of things and specifically for open source intelligence and terrorism and um, yeah all, all these issues so why not just have a digest in the form of look at these tweets these 50 tweets from last week and in all your experience of OSINT investigations have you come across one that you can tell us about or any kind of story about an investigation that you would be willing to share? Yeah, so I've got a couple of investigations. So there were some there also on my website, um, specific, but these were also like more visual investigations uh, where OSINT was also kind of like utilized or techniques uh, were used you know, to tell a story. And this was when I was working as an OSINT producer at NBC News. So unfortunately, my time lasted only nine months because, yeah, the, the entire news channel or the idea of, you know, launching this news channel, yeah, it, it just it just got cancelled, um, unfortunately. But I had lots of fun there and, uh, yeah, I worked on really interesting stories with colleagues. And here again, I have to say that all of these investigations, so whenever you see an investigation, it's really rare that you have just one individual working on a, on a bigger piece, um, especially in the, you know, in the news world and media world. There are so many people involved and I not only talk about, you know, the experts of, you know, understanding politics and the journalists who then talk to the people on the ground and have their sources and are extremely great at writing, uh, but also the people who edit the video and make these fancy visualizations. I mean, I learned so much, not the editing and visualization part, uh, but I try to just, you know, um, get everything from there. But I find it very fascinating and there are a couple of stories. So. One of the, the things that we did at NBC was um, with a former colleague uh, looking at, you know, deforestation in the Amazon and then, uh, you know, using free uh, satellite imagery and also working with an on-the-ground um, research institute to say with a certainty that, um, yes, we can clearly see deforestation. Yes, we can even measure it. Uh, we can say that within these months it's increased deforestation. And also we can link it to illegal activity. And this is why it's important to have these different, you know, combine different sources, because you can see that deforestation is going on, but you can't be certain that this is legal or uh, that this is illegal. So we had those people um, who were helping with this part and then also link everything, you know, to uh, COVID-19 at that time, uh, which is the, the, the journalist kind of work reaching out to people but also reading the news and you know linking the dots and unfortunately there was also not not unfortunately fortunately there were also recordings by the minister of him talking to other politicians saying that they have to you know uh, capitalize on COVID because then you can do lots of great things this was uh, um, and there were some other stories which were great but here maybe I can share also a more in-depth case study and I actually talked a little a, a little about it earlier which was this uh, Salafi jihadist who basically so when you look at the profile and this is a case study I've never shared in terms of you know in a, as, a, as a blog post I do use it um, when I do training sessions but this is usually closed and for you know for a certain audience so I would never put out these things on on Twitter but the technique, I can describe things, of course. So how it started was this uh, certain character. And when you look at the profile, so one of the things everyone guess does is looking at the individual, looking at photos and everything. And it became 
clear that this individual is kind of like pro terrorist entity in in Syria. You can look at the photos. You find uh, photographs of uh, handguns, but also some drones, and that they had attached some some ex some explosive. And you can also see some grievances, namely some children crying. How to say? Yeah, some violent images as well. So you kind of like know what this account is all about. <clears throat> and then when I looked closer into this account, um, I also found that um, the individuals seemed to have documented uh, his travel from from country X, I didn't know, to, to Istanbul. And this was by uploading a, uh, several photographs. And one of them I recognized because I lived there myself. I lived in Istanbul and I instantly recognized uh, that, that mosque. So I knew that this is Istanbul. And then several other photos were uploaded that showed, uh, seemed to show um, Syria from within Syria. So you can basically look at the photograph and you can see street signs in the background that clearly show that this is going to, you know, to this direction, into this city in Syria, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you have to verify everything and make sure that um, everything you show or that you say has also some kind of evidence behind it. So do a reverse image search to make sure that, you know, this handgun is unique and not just taken from the internet. I had this as well when I was trying to, um, yeah, kind of like methodology behind identifying Telegram accounts and identifying these people and their real accounts. And there was also one instance when I found the social media account on Facebook and lots of lots of images of handguns and stuff. And then in the end, it, uh, so all of them were taken from the internet. And then it turned out to be just, you know, some kid uh, doing stupid things, but uh, got in trouble. Anyways, back to the story. So what happened then is after verifying is that, yes, you could see, and also from the time period, uh, it looked like that, or it appeared to be an individual who documented his travel from country X, as I said, to Istanbul and then to Syria. So that was also a route many foreign terrorist fighters took. And that's why it kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about so many things with this case, but one of the things or the major things was for me, who is this person? Because uh, a lot of these guys and uh, or people who, you know, who join these terrorist organizations abroad and then come back, they have to face, of course, trial. Uh, for what they have done. But the problem is for um, authorities is to have evidence that they have engaged in some sort of, you know, battle because all of them, I mean, you know, you can come up with some really weird kind of like stories that you were just there to help people and support them. Uh, but, you know, when you have an image or a photograph or even a video taken with this individual next to a known terrorist and then with an AK-47, that's of course strong. But again, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a legal expert here, but anyway, so I knew that this is also a big issue. So for me, it was important to just, you know, document everything and then also to figure out who this guy is. And this here in this context, this was pure a curiosity and a pure like self-interest and, you know, seeing well, how much I can find. But then again, I don't do this just for fun. So when I see these things and I keep telling people, even if you are uh, new to OSINT and you find something interest, not interesting for law enforcement, if someone says, you know, something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot 10 people tomorrow. And if you see this, that it doesn't belong to Twitter in terms of, hey, look, I found this and uh, this is amazing case study. 
but more in terms of, oh, I have to report this. And that was also this case. So yes, here is this individual, this is interesting. And, but at the same time, this is not for me, this is not for fun, um, this I have to report. And so this is also what I did. Um, I wrote a report, put in all the pictures and uh, sent it off to the, uh, to the FBI. Uh, so this is the, the tip line that you can use. And here I got also uh, an answer pretty quickly and they asked me more questions and they're really, um, yeah, also very thankful as well, thanking me for um, what I did, et cetera, and just asking me, how did you find this out? And why they were asking this is because I found actually out where this guy was from. So he uploaded one photo on Facebook and this is the interesting part. And then he commented with something like, this was, this was my house, so before he traveled meaning that if you can geolocate this photo and if you believe what he says that this was his house, because it could be anything, right? I can't say this with 100% certainty, but if I can geolocate this, I can then identify this individual based on the address, etc. blah, blah, blah. So I looked at the photograph and it was really blurred. There was nothing in there and very extremely difficult um, to geolocate. And this is also a photograph I like to use when I do geolocation uh, training, especially because I think there are different techniques you can use and one of the hardest, and this is where you can really see, like there's so many brilliant um, geolocators out there, like uh, Benjamin Strick, he's, he's amazing. And uh, many others who do this, like who are excellent at just giving them a photo and they find these details. And this is also the technique you would have to use here, which is extracting as many details as possible to put those details together to form a picture or kind kind of like and what is it um yeah somehow you know that you can then say i think this might be in brazil because this 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 and that uh, kind of like putting together a picture and in this specific case i had to pivot so i think pivoting is probably known to everyone which is basically i looked at the picture couldn't extract much Honestly, there was not much except for the distance between houses and, you know, this house looks bigger than this one and it's far away, which means it must be super big and some other things, but there wasn't really much. But then I thought, you know what, if he uploads a photo of his house, he must have done also something in the area. So if I can narrow it down to an area, maybe I can find something or I can identify that building in the background. So that was my thinking. And yeah, I was right. So I looked at other photographs. And then he was standing at the marina and uh, it wasn't difficult to geolocate this one. Reverse image search worked instantly, but also you could see both registration numbers, several of them, which started, you, you were almost identical. So if you just put in this number, you actually know exactly where it is, a city in the US instantly. And then, then I had the, the first kind of like breakthrough where I knew, okay, interesting. So now we are you know, in the US, but where are we? Because we can be anywhere. And then again, going through the images, there was another image which was identical to the first one, but had more clarity and I could see more details, but it was only, yeah, parts of it were missing. But still, I found enough in that picture um, to, you know, to say like, I think it's this one, it's this image. And I know it's, it's, uh, it's here, I'm pretty sure which was the, the color of a building. So it stood out because it had a really um, interesting color. It was pink. <laughs> and uh, for me, it was something like unique. And this is what you're looking for, right? Um, and then with the first location, the assumption was that, okay, we are probably in an area around here. So let's look for this, bit, uh, for this, for this pink color. 
And then I did simple Google searches. The first one gave it right away, because as I said at the beginning, there was a huge building in the background. So I was looking for big buildings that were pink. And then you know, when you go through your Google results, you can see a lot of the results are the same. And for one, it was the same. So I identified the, the building. And from there, I went on Google Earth. And then I also asked uh, others for, um, for confirmation, because I wasn't quite sure. And I wanted to make sure before I send out anything that this is 100% uh, sure you know that yes um, am i stupid or is, th is this wrong because this is also you know again the bias and it's particularly with geolocation that you think yes it must be here but you disregard all these tiny details and actually when you are really harsh with you you're like no this is not the location it happens to me uh, as well um, and then you have to be no you you can't see this here and of course it could be down to all kinds of things seasonal things or whatever or missing building but in that case, uh, yeah, they agreed and uh, I was confident. So when I looked at other images and I used rental agency images, uh, the latest that I could find to then cross-reference it with the actual image of this was my house. Yeah, I was able to pinpoint the exact address. And with that address, of course, you can have access to all databases and uh, find out who the person is. And this was then put in this report and sent off. And as I said, so I got a message back saying thank you. And they were really interested in how did you find this? And of course, I mean, if I read the, an email and it says, yeah, I found this, 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 and that, I think he's a foreign terrorist fighter and he lives here. Um, and I geolocated it and like, yeah, but how? Because of course they have to understand every single process. So this was a really interesting case and it had also some bizarre twists in it. So that's why I like to talk about, but uh, yeah, I won't mention this one. <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Thanks for telling that story. You also said that you are one of the creators of OSINT Curious and you work on their webcasts. Where can yep. somebody find some of those webcasts and what are some of the, the topics that you cover in those? We, we actually moved from, you know, from these uh, webcasts, uh, we still call them webcasts, to you know, a more live streaming format. So this is one uh, format that we do. We're actually in the process of also moving this from a scheduled kind of live stream to a more spontaneous one um, to just reach more people or, or people in different time zones because uh, at Olsen Curious, so we kind of like live in all kinds of different time zones. So it's yeah, very difficult for us to, you know, come to, come together. But these live streams um, are actually fun. And, uh, you know, it has also always like a fun element, which is, you know, playing GeoGuessr or something. It's usually Micah um, who plays uh, GeoGuessr also with uh, some of the other Olsen Curious members and then having some discussions. And then we've got this other video, which is more like an interview, like uh, like ours. And there we follow like, you know, the, the same interview structure, um, you know, asking people, about how they got into and what their career looks like, what they do, what they want to learn more. So for those who want to, you know, check out that stuff as well, and that comes out round about like every two weeks, but it all always depends on availability of guests and, you know, our availabilities. But we've got a bunch of interviews and, and uh, live streams available on osincurio.us. <laughs> Basically, osincurious, and then a dot before the US. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how can somebody do that? What is the best way? Yeah, so the best way is uh, feel free to reach out on uh, either LinkedIn. So you can find me um, there under Laurent Bodo, L-O-R-A-N-D-B-O-D-O. -O. 
and the same Twitter handle. I've got the same, so at Lauren Bodo. And feel free to reach out uh, with questions or if you have any uh, anything, please do so. Lauren, thank you so much for doing this. I always appreciate when you join us. This was a lot of fun episode and I appreciate you sharing the information on how people can get started and with your story. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks.